Hello, welcome to CarCast in Edmonds. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndre, here with Alistair Weaver. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Holiday yeah. season's greetings to you and all that. Get, getting uh, toward the end of the year, getting a little bit of holiday travel, I think, right? You're going to jet on off to, to Europe, this luxurious, glorious life of yours? Yeah, if you regard taking an 11-hour economy class flight with a 21-month-old and a four-year-old luxury and glamorous. I always say to people, obviously, I'm British, and I always say, to people, oh, I'm going back to, you know, my, my wife's French, so we have to go back to France, back to the UK. And it always sounds really glamorous, uh, you know, but actually, it's not really. It's, not. it's nice to see the family, but it's yeah. glamour. Glamour it is not. Right. This is not the uh, the glory days of air travel. Um, Yeah, well, we're getting... uh. We're getting there um, toward the end of the year. I'm trying to get my my headphones are doing a thing, but uh, I think I got it. Um, yeah, so I want to get into a few things. Uh, uh, Goldberg and I were talking a little bit about the the Kia, the EV9, um, uh, knowing full well you would have some more information about that. But I also want to get into the Fisker because there's been some news around Fisker and they're starting to deliver a few vehicles. I saw one on the road so far and it didn't look good. It was in that blue that they've been sort of using as their flagship car. Uh, that's kind of interesting. But one of the things that we teased, um, I think, when we were covering F1 was Toyota Tacoma uh, as well. We just didn't really get into some of the new car stuff that or sort of bleed off from LA Auto Show. So, I don't know, let's start somewhere. Where do you want to start? Toyota? Yeah, we can start with Tacoma. I guess that's the um that's the biggest news. I mean, I went out and had a look at it back in the summer in Hawaii when they initially announced it and then we've we've had a couple of vehicles through the office now, so we've had it down the track, we've done the full rating on it. So, if you want to check out the site, all you want to read about the new Tacoma is right there, but um, you know, happy to give the game away on the uh, on the pod. Now, Tacoma is still pretty significant for Toyota, right? Like when we lost Ranger and and all the midsize trucks for 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 a number of years, Tacoma was the game. I mean, we still had Honda Ridgeline and maybe Nissan had something, but but it really was just Tacoma. And now the Tacoma's got more competition. Uh, and it took a little while to get like a full revision of Tacoma, like we got now, right? Yeah, I mean, this is. I think this is kind of what's what's a big deal. You know, what's a, what's a big deal for them is that this they, you know, they, they this is this is a vehicle that will probably have a shelf life of at least ten years. And I was talking to the project engineer back in Hawaii, and imagine the pressure of doing a vehicle that you know is going to have to sell two or three hundred thousand a year for the next for the next ten years. That's not yeah. a that's not a small undertaking. And you know, it has such a loyal it has such a loyal fan base and it's always seen as this kind of iconic, reliable, go anywhere, not let you down, do the job truck. And that's why people buy them and why the residual values have always historically been, been incredible on them. And, you know, I think there's a while, I think it's quite the case now, but because used car values are, are dropping, um, dropping very rapidly. That's something else we could get into, but it, they, you know, the Tacoma, there's a while where you could buy like a used Tacoma was actually more almost as much money or more expensive than a new Tacoma in case you could get hold of one. So, you know, the the arrival of a genuinely new version is a huge deal, huge deal for the market, huge deal for Toyota. And it also comes at a time when everybody else is updating. So we've seen the new Colorado this year. We're about to get our hands on the new 
um, the new Ford Ranger, even things like the Nissan Frontier aren't, you know, aren't massively old. So, you know, the big size, the full size truck market had its update. And now, uh, you know, this year it's been the, the turn, the midsize. So, yeah, interesting vehicle, huge range, as you'd expect, um, including hybrid power now. Uh, but, um, yeah, we had a slightly, you know, it's it's a good vehicle, but we weren't blown away by it, shall we say. There's going to be, um, you mentioned hybrid, but there's two four-cylinder options, two turbo four-cylinder options, and then the hybrid version, sort of a small, medium, and large. Four-cylinder turbo, four-cylinder turbo, high output, if you will, and then hybrid, which will be the flagship vehicle as far as powertrain. And then two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive versions, extended cabs, four-door cabs. You know, there's going to be a whole slew of, of mix and max match options that you can get here, as well as a manual transmission. No manual transmission in the hybrid, although that would be kind of interesting, but uh, it seems pretty standard that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, they're also going after the top end of the range. They're going after how to look at the TRD Pro, and, you know, that's going after the sort of desert racing type community. They've got some really cool seat technology, which we haven't tested yet, but they almost it has shock absorbers in the back of the front seats. The idea being that it sort of supports your supports your body as you as you bounce over the dunes. Um, and then they're also trying to get into the the overlanding market as well. So it's the classic Toyota thing. They pepper the market with a version for for everybody. We had the uh the TRD Sport in. Uh, that's the one that we tested, which I think is gonna be the you know the critical seller. Um, so this is the Turbo Four with two seventy eight horsepower, which you know was and that's the mid range power because the smaller yeah. one is like two twenty two twenty eight horsepower. So there's a two twenty eight, yeah. a two seventy eight, and then the hybrid's going to be three twenty six. Yeah, they've got a pretty a pretty decent decent spread. I think the hybrid is in you know as Toyota has tended to do recently, it's. It's not just about economy. It's also about that kind of balance. What they're almost saying is you can have the performance, but not, you know, but still have the economy of a traditional four. So I think that's what they're trying to achieve there. I mean, we ran the uh, the TRD Sport through the test track. Zero to 60 in 7.6 is respectable for a truck like this. I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not designed, and it's called TRD Sport, but it's not really supposed to be a, a performance truck. Um, there were a few things that we just the only thing that we really was it was slightly odd was the rear seat space wasn't as uh as big as some rivals and that was kind of one uh you know one issue there was just a that that was but the one thing that has so i'm rambling can't speak it's been a long week um one thing that has improved i remember in the old tacoma the driving position although it improved slightly over the years was always a little bit challenged now you can get properly comfortable um, and that's going to make a big difference, particularly if you're on the um, the taller end of the spectrum. Yeah, not my problem. <laughs> I see. I see nothing. <laughs> uh, it's uh Let's talk about the look. So they're definitely going after this very short, sharp edge kind of look. I guess they were doing that on on the bigger truck as well. Um, I get the street trucks and the off-road versions of the trucks um, a little different. You're going for for fuel economy. So that big plastic air dam that hangs down on the street trucks that sort of divert air and help improve your, your MPG, 
wildly yeah, lovely, I think that's, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to them in um I was talking to them on the launch about that. And I was actually this because you know it does look like it, you know, the first time you hit a curb, the thing's gonna come off. I'm sure it won't. But it's been designed so it's pretty easy to take off. And I think that's a kind of emissions economy thing. So I suspect what you'll find out there in the real world is once you've got past the EPA ratings, a lot of people will just quietly unscrew them and stick them in the back of the garage because uh, yeah, they do look they do look kind of silly. They're just they're kind they're they're goofy. And then especially when you look at all the photos, you look at the lineup of the truck, and then you get you see that version, and then you get to you know the Trail Hunter trim and the TRD Pro, and you're like, oh well, those are kind of badass looking, you know, with skid plates in the front and and whatever. So. Yeah, the T. I mean, the TRD, the the TRD Pro looks fantastic. Look, looks fantastic, and also the, uh, it's the Trail Hunter, isn't it? Which yeah, is more Trail of Hunter. the, which is more of a kind of like out of the dealership overlander. So it's kind of like you go to SEMA and you see what everybody does to Tacomas, and you know, there's a huge market as you know for for modding Tacomas. And I think what Toyota's saying is, you know, we want a piece of that market. And in the Trail Hunter, they're basically saying, look, if if you don't want to go the aftermarket, you don't want to do it yourself, we will send you, we will sell you a SEMA car basically straight out of the showroom with all the warranties and everything else. So cash yeah. rich time poor, that's the choice. Yeah, it looks uh it, it looks good. It looks pretty interesting. So um overall when you guys tested it what was the sort of the driving dynamics of it did you end up liking it um i mean the word is is, is it's supposed to be uh a more comfortable better driving overall uh than than the the current tacoma yeah which probably you know the current tacoma is what 10 years old so you, you'd hope to have a pretty sizable thing i mean yeah generally it's it's much better to drive. Uh, the braking performance was good. Um, you know, steering's light and accurate. So, you know, and again, it will vary a little bit from model to model, depending on, you know, how it's set up for off-roading or on-road and, you know, how you, what tires it's on and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, as, as you'd hope, it's much better on-road. And I'm sure there'll be, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be significant differences between which trim you choose. So, you know, it's it's kind of interesting in this market that this particular truck market, you really need to think about how you're specking the vehicle and how you're actually going to use it. Yeah, you know, and um, this idea of the hybrid version. So uh, Toyota's been doing hybrid for a long time. They're, they've gotten pretty good at it across their lineup of vehicles. Uh, and the hybrid trucks, like we've seen from Ford, uh, is an interesting proposition. Now with with a Ram Charger or whatever, the, I forgot, but the EV truck is that they're going to be doing i think it's ram charger um no the ram charge is the the hybrid one isn't the one where yeah. you have the engine as the generator right that's the generator not really the hybrid that's just sort of yeah. the, the onboard generator but the idea of toyota pushing more of the off-road stuff and like you said the turnkey overlanding vehicle uh i would imagine their hybrid version of the truck is going to start to have things like what ford's doing with their their pro power on board so you can sort of power your campsite or charge, you know, power tools or whatever. Uh, I don't know that that was a big selling point for anything else that Toyota is doing, but for the truck to be competitive, there's got to be some version of that. I would imagine. I don't yeah, know how much uh, they got into it because that truck's not really 
out yet. Yeah, the 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 iForce Max. I mean, the numbers are impressive. Three, as you mentioned earlier, three twenty six horsepower, forty sixty five pounds feet of torque. I mean, the torque in particular is a real standout there. Um, and that's stand on TRD Pro and and try at Trail Hunter. So you know, I don't think they expect to sell a, a, a ton of them, uh, but that's very much seen as the you know the, the halo product for the rest of the range. I mean, the Heartland is still going to be the you know the force and the force and the trucks. But it is uh, interesting. I mean, this is very much, you know, we talked a little bit about Camry, I think, before on the show, and and this is very much Toyota's direction of travel what they haven't done is gone massively into the ev market but what they're saying is we're just going to build a ton of hybrids so every new every version of the new camry is hybrid only and you know on the trucks they're also obviously getting onto that obviously on the full size the tundra but then you know increasingly on the tacoma as well and then the tacoma is available with a manual transmission i'm i'm gonna guess that's only in the entry level four cylinder i don't know if it has if it's available in the mid-range one yeah, I think it actually goes all the way. Goes goes. I, I can't remember exactly which model it goes. So I don't think it's on the on the iForce Max, for example. But yeah, they they basically said, "Look, there's a market for this. We're going to do it." And uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So the hybrid, I believe, is only with the the automatic. hybrid will be will be auto only yeah, because I think be that's auto. just yeah that that's guaranteed to be auto. Only. Yeah. So we don't really know the exact lineup of what could, would be available with the manual transmission, but having it available is kind of interesting. If it's a fairly decent manual transmission, I I I don't know. I can't remember the last time I drove a Toyota with a, with with a manual transmission. And to be fair, it's not like we get a lot of press cars with manual transmissions these days, unless it's the selling point, like you know the you know, the BRZ or, or, you know, or something like that. That's what somebody was telling me the other day, like the best security device for your car now is a manual transmission. Yeah. There was a, there was a something in the news. I, I, I scrolled past it where uh, a guy got carjacked in his Porsche and his nine eleven, like, like badly though, like got pistol whipped and they took his, his car and it was a manual and they kept stalling it and they switched criminals like the passenger <laughs> like the, and they still couldn't do it and they ended up having to run away and just leave the car there because it was a manual transmission unfortunately the guy got hit you know you know he got beat down when they were taking his car from him uh uh and i don't know if they got caught but that's embarrassing they didn't like they didn't like sort of make him drive it at gunpoint or anything just because no. they couldn't <laughs> Well, first of all, it's just a 911. So I don't know how many criminals you're going to fit in one 911. You can start stacking them up and like drive it or I'll, or I'll, or I'll shoot you. Like it's so stupid and so dumb, but laughable that they couldn't take a 911. They didn't think, they didn't think that you know, far ahead. You know what the big threat to manual transmissions is at the moment? No. It's all about, it's all about emissions and controlling the fuel. Yeah, I was talking to Porsches up at Rensport, talking to Porsches engineers, and that's the big that's the big threat. It's not it's not demand. It's not you know it's not manufacturing. It's just that when to meet the latest emissions regulations, you have to basically control the fueling and and really manage, you know, manage how the the engine delivers its its power. And with a automatic gearbox, you can you, you know you can handle that through the computers with a manual gearbox you lose a lot of that control and that apparently is the biggest single threat to the to the manual and that might might finally kind of tip the balance it it definitely makes sense i am curious if 
if we'll get an interesting version of a car at some point, probably something high end on the on the supercar end or where it's both. It's a manual and an automatic where it's it literally has a shifter that you can shift, but a drive mode. You can pop it into a drive mode or you can pop it into a manual mode and row the gears yourself. It would have three pedals, but you wouldn't have to use the third pedal if you didn't want to. And, you know, because we have automatic transmissions that we're controlling like manuals with paddles and we have manual transmissions that we're controlling with paddles, uh, you know, uh, but can we get a proper manual transmission that you row the gears, but has an automatic mode, maybe just a button, you know, that's like a drive reverse neutral button, but has a shifter. It would be an interesting, it would probably confuse most people. Um, certainly if you tried to valet park the car, it'd be like, I don't understand yeah. what's happening here. Um, but I remember it once with Aston Martin on the Vanquish, which had the, this was the early days of flappy paddle gearboxes. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of double clutch stuff. It was single clutch. And you could pay Aston Martin work service, which was like, their, well, it still is, their kind of like tailoring bespoke arm. You could pay them to retrofit a manual gearbox to a Vanquish. And I drove it once and it was great. And it was this wonderfully kind of like meaty, gear change and i think at the time it was like six grand somebody told me like if you take an old vanquish in today it's more like 20 grand and i think it has to the car has to go to the uk to do it but they would basically retrofit a manual gearbox to the flappy paddle vanquish which makes it a much nicer car because those early yeah uh, those early flappy paddle gearboxes were pretty terrible the ones where you had to kind of like lift off the throttle every time you change gear and then like smoothly reapply it and ferrari was the same and and, the, and then the aston but um yeah I, yeah, I without, never, heard it. I never heard with, it the other way around. Without multiple clutches, it would be tough to do. If I recall correctly, um, I I drove uh, the Lotus F1 car at Thermal, and I believe... shameless name dropping. And when I was when I was driving the uh, Lotus <laughs> Formula One car, uh, V uh, V10 car, uh, cool, it sounded fantastic. I believe... I drove I drove the uh, the Renault V10 at Paul Ricard. Oh, see, I just went to Thermal. So what are we doing here? Um, I remember it having a clutch pedal, I believe. And they said, you got to use the clutch in the first gear to get it going. But then once it's at speed, forget it. You just use the paddles. And yeah. Cause I mean, that's how a modern F1 car works as well. But the modern F1 car, I think the car I drove had a foot clutch. Cause they reckon that, um, people like me wouldn't be able to, to do a hand clutch, but like the modern F1 car has a hand clutch off to get I it off the line. I drove a clutch as well. Yeah, and then but then you go into the paddles, but yeah, that's the same on on a modern a modern F one car. Yeah, so the idea of having the third pedal there in some environments is not a wild idea. It's 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 there. Um, anyway, just kind of an interesting thought about manual transmissions in the future. Um, Fisker, what's going on with Fisker? We're starting to see vehicles. I saw one on the road. It looks pretty decent. Uh, it's an interesting, I like Henrik Fisker. Um, we're going to get down to getting some questions answered. Is Magna going to be able to build a decent car for Fisker as opposed to Fisker trying to ramp up and build a factory on their own? I like it as a business model. Um, uh, is Henrik Fisker, uh, able to run a car company? He's a great designer. He's a great visionary, but can he run a car company? <laughs> we're we're, we're going to find out. 
<laughs> Should we start at the beginning? Because if people are listening and like, what the hell is is Fisker? So yeah. let's like, like let's start with Henrik. So Henrik was I first met Henrik when he was the Aston Martin chief designer. So he took it over from Aston uh, from Ian Callum at Aston, and Callum had designed the DB9 and then the basically the bones of the V8 Vantage and Fisker came in and finished the V8 Vantage, which was beautiful cars, both of them. Yeah. V8, I think, particularly was lovely. And then it, and that and he'd also designed the BMW Z8, which was the uh the sort of they're, they're worth a fortune today. It was basically an M5 in a very, very pretty roadster body. Yeah. I mean and, arguably and a the last design and yeah, really yeah. nice. Not a great car to drive, I remember. I remember testing it back in the day, but just beautiful. Like the arguably the last really beautiful BMW. Um, and this is going back to what nine about two thousand, I think that thing was around. Uh they're a fortune if you look at Bring a Trailer today. And so that was Fisker. Then then he set up like this eponymous car company in the US that eventually went down uh with the Fisker Karma. Um and then that was kind of the end of that. And then but then he's reimagined a another car company which is trying to build sort of sensibly priced EVs in the Tesla Model Y mold. So the Ocean is a fifty to eighty thousand dollar SUV. Um, and then they've got more they've got a truck coming, they've got the pair coming, which will be cheaper. Uh they've got um they've got something called the well the Alaska something called the Alaska, which is a truck. Then they've got like a a supercar, the Ronin, which will be a uh, absolute fortune, I think four hundred grand, something in that region. Yeah. So they've got serious aspirations about being a you know proper EV brand. They're actually headquartered about a mile and a half from my house, which is kind of amusing. But one of the one of the interesting things about them is that they've been built by Magna Steyr in uh, I think it's Austria. Now, if you've never heard of them, they are a hugely accomplished car builder, and they do the G. They do build the Mercedes G wagon, for example. I they think also BMW build other, Five Series, some five yeah, series. Uh, yeah, they definitely do some work for BMW. I think off the top of my head, they do Mercedes GLB as well. So this is a company. They did some smarts for a while. So this is a company that you've never heard of, but actually builds a lot of luxury cars to an extremely high standard. And yeah. I talked to Henrik about it, God, about a year ago now. And it's like, well, if you're going to go and hire those to build your car, isn't it really expensive way of doing it? And he was adamant that, yes, you give away some margin, but you also give away a hell of a lot of pain. And as we've seen from, you know, Tesla initially, but certainly from Lucid and Rivian to a slightly lesser extent, you know, it's really difficult to build a car from scratch. Yeah. So there's an argument that if Fisker goes and outsources the build bit to somebody who really knows what they're doing, um, then in theory, you're off to a winner. Right. So they're outsourcing all of the build, uh, presumably getting some of that know-how and quality. Uh, but where are we with the vehicle? Have you guys yeah, here, driven here it? We Have go. you tested it? Here we go. I've just Googled it. Who's Who, who are Magnus Stare um, building at the moment? Mercedes G-Wagon, G or G-Class as they call it now, Jag E-Pace, Jag I-Pace, that's the electric one. BMW Z4, Toyota Supra, which is a sister car. Um, you know, so they they these guys know what they're doing. And we had it, we've got, we're buying one, which is due to arrive fairly imminently, we understand. I think we've written the check now. Uh, but we also had a test car in in the last week. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. 
Yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> Actually, come on, I suppose. <laughs> I wait for the prompt. Um, <laughs> Pause, so take the... a breath, take a sip of water. Tell us how you like this damn okay. thing. There's nothing like doing it live. Um, <laughs> so this is called the Ocean, uh, and it's a SUV in the manner of sort of Tesla Model Y size. So it's a rival to Model Y, uh, things like the Genesis GV60, uh, which we actually own as a family car, uh, Ford Mustang Mach-E. It's that, that genre of car. And there are bits of it that are really good. It has the one that we had was the uh, was the the sort of the 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 ocean one, which is the kickoff model. And in common with everybody else, you launch with a car which has got all the all the bits on it. So this one comes in at that we had was in at almost seventy two thousand dollars, which is a which is a fortune. Um, but the cheaper models will be coming in the next year and it should start ultimately around 50, which frankly it needs to now because, you know, the model Y has got cheaper and cheaper. Ford's cut the price of the Mustang Mach-E and the Fisk, the Fisker is, is billed as a sort of luxury vehicle, but it's not, it's not luxury in the way that say a Lucid is or a Porsche Taycan is. It's got to compete with those more mainstream alternatives. Yeah. It's, there's a few gadgets that are that are quite fun. I mean, everybody who launches now has to have a gimmick, and <laughs> Fisker's basically got two. The model we had at the top of the line, I think it's called the Extreme, has has solar panel. Basically, has solar panels on the roof. Yeah, and the premise being that the so you can use solar energy to help recharge the battery. So that's sort of gimmick number one. Uh, gimmick number two is it has a very large vertical screen. So most of the time you're driving along, it's vertical. But then if you want to stop to recharge or wait for the kids or whatever, you can push a button and it will flip horizontally, at which point it basically turns into a, you know, an entertainment center and you can watch Apple TV or YouTube or Netflix or whatever you wish. So it's kind of quite fun in that it starts off like yeah. this and rotates 90 degrees. And then the third gimmick, which I actually really like, um, the third gimmick is called the California mode. And you push yeah. one button up in the headlining and all the windows. So the roof, which they're claiming is the biggest sunroof, I think, in the world, that opens. And then all the windows drop and the rear tailgate window drops like it used to in a Land Rover Freelander many years ago. So basically everything opens up. And I tried it driving driving around L.A. the other day. And it's really nice, actually. It makes it feel a bit like a Targa. Because you open the roof and just having the airflow through the car and then out the rear hatch. Yeah. It's a really cool feeling. And I mean, obviously, you've got to live in a hot climate. But if you live in California, I could imagine myself using that all the time. It's meant to give it sort of the feeling of a convertible. Like if you were driving a convertible with a roll cage. Yeah, like a target, right? That that right? was my like feeling. Kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, the solar panels on the roof. This is something that's come up excuse me, a few times in conversation going, uh, why aren't we doing it? Maybe because it, it can't generate enough power. And what does it really do? Does it just like power some of the accessories or recharge the 12 volt battery, not the full like driveline battery? Um, but Fisker is claiming it does add 
some charge to the main driveline battery. And it's an interesting way on how they're selling it, but they're saying it could add up to 1500 miles of charge per year. Yeah, I saw that, you know, in ideal conditions may increase beyond 2000. So um, if you park it in outside in, you know, all the time during the day in a, in a warm climate, California, Arizona, if you park it outside, uh, the paint will suffer probably, but, uh, but it'll suck up enough energy to maybe add a few miles per charge saying a uh, hundred miles a month. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of like to want to get, you know, we, we get, we're buying one of these and I say arrive this month. So it's interesting. We want to find a way of trying to measure this, but my car generally like a lot of my classic car lives in the garage and my everyday car tends to live outside. And, you know, we live in Southern California. It'd be really interesting. To see. I mean, in theory, it's a, it's a nice idea because you are wasting all that energy, which is naturally hitting the car. But if you're living in Michigan at this time of year, it's probably not going to make a lot of difference. Right. Or, and if you live in the UK, you're stuffed. And and also like this is a seventy two thousand dollar vehicle. I mean, uh, how much parking outside are you doing versus parking garages or your own personal oh. garage or apartment or condo yeah. complex or whatever? Um, and then yeah, when you guys get it, I, I would be interesting to sort of dig into this a little bit more. Does it charge while you're driving? If you're sitting in traffic and you got an hour commute every morning or an hour? Commute yeah, I'm, that's my understanding. Is, is that's it, my understanding? You know, does that it, he's just permanently doing it? Yeah. So it does it when its car is on or off. It's just constantly charging the battery when it's in the sun. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting idea. So uh, you guys spent a little bit of time with it, but you didn't get a chance to do the full test on it, the admins test. You're going to wait for your. No, we've done the whole. We've done the whole shebang. We haven't processed. We haven't processed everything yet. But there are some. Um... Yeah, there's some interesting headlines. Like the range is really good. Did 360 miles on the uh, now famous Edmunds EV range test. Get the plug in. Um, and I think yeah, we had we did a lot of miles in it. It's in a really interesting. Car. There's 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 tons of space. The rear seat space is really good. Okay. Um, we kind of like the gimmicks, but there's a few things that that the interior quality doesn't feel. Uh, when I say quality, I mean like the the quality of the plastics, the quality of the leather, just the touchy feely stuff doesn't feel like seventy grand's worth. But Maybe also, he's feels... trying to do some sustainable everything in the vehicle. Like the whole vehicle is supposed to be recyclable. <laughs> yeah, they're making a big play about that, and they've just sent us. Um, I was just talking to Brian Wong on the team, and they've sent him a massive pack of document about how sustainable this thing is. And that's a big part of their pitch. It's also a bit of a part of the pitch about having the solar on top of the roof is how can we maximize the environmental credentials of this vehicle? So like the the one thing, the, the basic build quality, and maybe this goes to where it's actually built, the basic build quality feels good. It feels better than a, uh, a Tesla did at this stage of its life when it was new. Uh, better than a uh, certainly better than a Lucid, arguably better than the Rivian as well. But what they haven't done yet for these early cars is they're just not really finished the software. And I think by their own admission, they're still adding stuff. So at the moment, for example, there's no cruise control. Yeah, not, okay. like, period, none at all. But is there a uh, button that's... on the steering wheel for cruise control? Yeah, it it's coming. Work? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, coming. Yeah. It's coming. I... It's like the old days okay. of the chip shortage. Um, they. 
there isn't a full one pedal driving. So you get when you lift off the throttle, you get a lot of regen, but it doesn't come fully come to a stop, which is the kind of definition of one pedal driving. And yeah, if you're driving a, a Tesla, anyway. yeah, I I kind of I kind of am now. I got used to it. So so that that's coming. Um, also, something a few little bugs bugs as well. Like sometimes the backup camera doesn't work, which is weird because there must be something about backup cameras because we had the same problem with Lucid. Same problem with Rivian. Now in the Fisker as well, the times the backup camera just didn't really, you know, want to want to come to life. So if you're buying one of these, you're basically going to have to accept that over the next six months to one year, every over-the-air update is going to be significant. And probably in a year's time, pretty much everything that you'll need will be there and a lot of the bugs will be covered off. But it's not there at the moment. Some things are buggy, some things are laggy, and some things just don't exist at all. And it's weird, like, you know, even with gas cars, cars, you you always say, if you're giving, like, you know, friend advice in the pub, don't buy the car as soon as it's brand, brand new. Yeah. You know, give it six months for them to at least iron out some of the basic stuff. Right. And there's a well-known car manufacturer who, when they give out long-term test vehicles to media, will never give you a vehicle in uh, when it's brand new. So... This is a this is a known issue, but it seems to be exaggerated on startups. So they're just saying we've got to get the vehicle into market, we've got to get a tenant, we've got to get some some money flowing in. The early adopters are going to do a bunch of testing and they're going to accept the fact that they haven't got cruise control because they just want the first vehicle. So yeah. the fact that it's built fundamentally feels like it's built well is a good thing. Because if it's just software, that's so much easier to fix than if the trunk doesn't fit properly. And then, well, how does it how does it drive? It drives okay at the moment, which again, like we're in a world of over the air updates. So yeah, right. I'll but, give you. Let, let's say the mechanical bits of it. Like, what was your feeling from from you or your team? What was your feeling on just suspension steering? Just like. Because uh, so honestly, the Karma that he did a while back was a pretty, pretty decent car. It just the powertrain didn't work, but the rest of the bits seem fine. Yeah, I mean, here the powertrain seems to work well. Uh, the range, range we got was really good, and if that's straight off the bat, like we've seen with Lucid, that they've the range has got better and better. If they've you know they've updated the software, so the range is good. The range is good straight out of the straight out of the box. It's really fast. The steering has that kind of like turning. I was like Tesla where it's very, very responsive. And I think a lot of people like that about Tesla. It has that sporty feel that as soon as you turn the wheel, you get an instant reaction. The way they set it up with quite quite stiff springs as well to deliver that. Um, then the uh, the only, there's a few like little anomalies, like the brake pedal at the moment on the car we drove. You've got like three or four inches of travel before anything happens. So it's kind of like, boom, and then suddenly it's on. Um the handling is kind of okay. I didn't drive it on the track. We had it down the test track. I didn't drive it on the track. I mean, it's not a track car, but I just drove it backwards and forwards on the road. Rides okay. Drives okay. Really fast, like all EVs are. Um, but it did have problems with like, there's a weird function in it where I don't think our zero to 60 time was as fast as it might have been because you can kind of dial up this sort of like full, full power mode. But you have a thing in the in the in the computer that says you can only use this five hundred times. 
Yeah. I've never seen this any other vehicle before. Yeah, there was something um, uh, the company spoke. I don't know if it was Henrik who spoke. Somebody spoke up to about it and just said uh, it it wears on the powertrain and the battery. So we limited it to 500 times just so we can monitor data on it because we don't know if it's something people are going to use or not. So the 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 long-term result of that limitation, that 500 times, they go, it may stay, it may go away. We haven't really decided yet. It's just, it's just something we're saying right now because they don't know the long-term effects of the vehicle. Like, does it start to dig into warranty issues? And they're just saying, we just don't have enough data. So we're going to say 500 times. We're going to put a limit so we can crunch the numbers on it. But it, but they were a little, not wishy-washy. They were just a little like, we're open to options on on this idea. Because we just we don't know what the car is going to do. Like if you use it 480 times, does the car explode? Like they don't know. <laughs> you know, like it so five hundred times for like a full launch control is actually quite a lot. It, it is, but it's listen. When we started getting launch control in the first cars that were kind of cool, like a Nissan GTR, there was like a sequence of things happening, and you had to read the manual and whatever. And then it got better to where like all you got to do is hit the brake, hold it down, mash the throttle, let go of the brake. Like it's simplified to now, uh, I don't know, it's Genesis or a Kia or something, just has a EV, just has a button on the steering wheel. Like you just hit it and it gives you like, whatever, five seconds of like a, a nitrous shot, but in an EV mode. So now that it's so much easier to do, um, I don't know how often, they don't know how often people will use the button. Uh, I drove the. I reckon the, twice. Yeah. I reckon the day you buy the car and the day that you show off to your best friend. And that's yeah. probably it. Yeah. So I don't know. The first couple of months as you're showing it off to everybody, that's yeah. the button you hit. And then does it wear off? But yeah, there's some. When I was driving the Genesis, like I would, I would hit that button every every now and then on you know on a nice clear empty road. It was like we're just getting up to speed. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't. It doesn't make me angry. This whole like 500 limitation doesn't doesn't make me angry because I get the value of data, right? And they need to record the data. The only one I can compare it to is I remember back in the day. It's still true today. If we ever test a Lamborghini, for example, at a test track, they always want to send an engineer down to make sure the car's fine. Yeah. And I remember like back in the day, Ferrari's always been very fastidious about this. And I remember going way back in the UK, having a Ferrari 599. And I remember ringing the guy from Ferrari UK and saying, look, we just want to do a zero to 60. Can I just check something on the car that I want to make sure that I've like, you know, got it set up right. And he's just like a big pregnant pause. He <laughs> said, no, I've got to come down. And then it was like, and then about 10 minutes later, a 458 like came in at about 300 miles an hour. <laughs> All the laptops came out, and it was all about like clutchware. How how was that going to impact on this? Where we were on clutchware? How much was it going to slip? And it made you realize just like how much strain on the vehicle, and how you know like absolutely paranoid. So the idea that you could just do this on repeat for like you know the twenty year life cycle of vehicle is absurd. And I suppose this in the electric vehicle world is just the same thing. It's like the force that goes through the vehicle, not just the powertrain, but everything is yeah. still huge. You know, the my my experience with that was interesting. It was sort of the opposite. I was at Willow Springs with a couple of LFAs. Um, there was just a handful of us. It was it was myself, Ken Gushi, Paul Walker when he was live, who was right before 
his accident. And they had a couple LSA, LFAs up there and uh, they sent two engineers from Japan and I don't even think they spoke English. They were just, they were just properly well-dressed and they're white pressed, you know, Lexus polo shirts and, and they were just hanging out, talking to each other the whole time. And it was like crazy sandstorm and wind and, and Ken Kushi was there and he was trying to slide the car around. And it was like, everyone was just hammering on these cars and we'd bring them in, let the cars rest, let the cars cool down. And we kept going to the engineers going, do you need to check anything? Do you need to check the tire pressure? Do you get data? And they're like, no, LFA. I'm like, what? They're like, that's all they kept saying. They're like, there's no problems with our car. They're like, why are you here? They're like, Lexus, LFA. That's all they kept saying to me. I was like, Fantastic. no, I, I get it. I get it. But did you really make a car that good? They were so confident in that car's ability to just get beat on all day. And honestly, we didn't have an issue at all. And that engine was, I know we're going off a tangent, but that engine was something else. Honestly, one of the, the best sounding engines. One of the best sounding engines uh, ever produced. Uh, I almost got taken around the Nürburgring Nordschleife by uh, one of their test drives in LFA. That was, it's a, they were, I mean, they're insane money today, but they, the engine was, um, the and engine was pretty special. The LFA is worth a lot of money. And the Nürburgring edition that you're talking about is already like doubled. It, now we're, we've, we've, we've got sort of this Mura versus Mura SV sort of separation between the cars. Like they, they, they've popped and those, the Nürburgring edition is, is crazy. Yeah, it's, but going uh, going back to the going back to Fisk, it's kind of interesting that this whole world of startups and everything else. Like, I drove it home, and then I had to move our car, a G Genesis GV60, which is fifty, just over fifty grand's worth, so twenty grand cheaper than the the Fisk. And the thing is, the Genesis doesn't have the fancy California mode. It's not quite as big. It doesn't go quite as fast, but it's beautifully engineered. The attention to detail is fantastic. The build quality is amazing. And this is the challenge today and the challenge that Tesla never had because Tesla basically had the market to itself with the Model 3 so they could get away with stuff that other startups can't. And, you know, we've seen it with Lucid as well. It's 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 hard now because you get into the Genesis, it's like, oh, well, the Fisk is kind of a bit cooler and it goes a bit faster and it's a bit bigger and it's got this like fancy California mode. Then you get in the Genesis and it's like everything works. Everything's beautifully done. The quality is fantastic. And part of me is just says, like, you'd end up buying the Genesis. And so you, <laughs> if you're doing a startup today, you've got to, it's not just enough to, like, have a crazy gimmick. You've got to really nail the quality and the attention to detail and everything else. It's really tough. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's shift gears a little bit to uh, Kia EV9. Um, I watched your guys' video on this. Uh, it was fun, fun video. Um the the summary of it is the Kia EV9 is essentially Kia's all electric version of the Telluride as far as what they're trying to sort of go after. Now there's going to be a price difference and they're probably going to do some things to make it feel a little bit more upscale, but keep in mind it's still a Kia, not a Genesis. Uh but um that being said, uh yeah, let's talk about it. How do you guys like EV9? Honestly, it is one of the best vehicles we've driven in a in a long, long time. It's that good. Yeah, it really for, is for, for what it is. It's not. It's not like the fastest, best handling thing in the. Oh no, no, I mean like as a three row SUV. It, it as a as a product. Yeah, as a vehicle. Yeah, you know, it's it's um. 
yeah, it, it's it's funny. I saw the concept car and I thought I don't really like the way that thing looks. And then the production version is rare. The production version I think looks better than the concept, but it's just there hasn't been a like a proper three row electric SUV uh, in the market. Because you have the obviously you've got the Tesla Model Model X. You've also got the um, the Rivian R1S, but they're both a ton of money. You know, it, it, the the Rivian's nine best part of that 80, 90 grand. And the Kia is still not cheap. You want to pay 60 grand for, you know, for you probably want the all-wheel drive version of a longer battery. That's starting at just over 60 grand. So, you know, we're, we're not talking about a, a cheap vehicle here. But it's just beautifully delivered. It's like a proper three-row American family car with tons of space, tons of technology, good to drive, really refined, nice ride quality, great quality. Great, you know, interior quality in terms of the touchy feely stuff. It's just really well done. And uh, for, for the minute, at least probably for the next few months, there's going to be nothing like it. Nobody else has got a three row EV coming out. Not until what Volvo. Well, uh, EX, maybe... EX 90 is, is accessory, but that's going to be, that's going to be more money as well. That's, that's, that's way up in the luxury bracket. So yeah, in that kind of mainstream ish, I mean, 60 grand is barely mainstream, but it's, it's, you know nothing there's nothing else like it and they've done a they've done a really really great job with it also charges really fast lots of range um so yeah lots of um so speaking of, of range stuff. what kind of range are you guys did you guys do your test or we just have the manufacturer's range yeah we did the um we did the Edmunds EV range test on it um i knew you're going to ask me that and of course i haven't got it in front of me uh but we exceeded the um we exceeded the uh, the manufacturer claim, and I'm going to have to look it up, Matt, because I can't find where I put it. Keep uh, talking. Okay. I'll have a yeah. look. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the the one you guys tested, this was sort of the top spec one. This is the all-wheel drive, what they call their GT line. Yeah, it did uh, just over 300 miles. The long-range battery just did just over 300 miles 300 in our miles. test, which for, for a three-row SUV is, is, is really good. And it also has the the fast charging architecture that the EV9 and the Hyundai's have. So it's going to charge fast as well. So it works as an electric car and then it works as a family SUV. And I think that's a great combination. So the the one that uh, that you guys uh, got your hands on being their top of the line one, um, it had multiple screens in it and uh, heated and cooled seats, um, adaptive cruise control, uh, front and rear sunroofs. Um, I guess it has an air ride suspension, some sort of self-leveling suspension. And it's the dual motor all-wheel drive. So it was a 99.8 kilowatt uh, battery, um, 379 horsepower, 516 pound-feet of torque, but still a large vehicle. So it weighed 6,000 pounds. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't really get away from around that. pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, we did zero to 60, 4.7 seconds, which is, you know, plenty fast enough for a family vehicle yeah uh and it's nice that you can get you can either get it with six or seven seats and in the six seater version in particular you know you've got proper room for adults this is not this is a proper three row it's not a um it's not like a you know third row just for kids this is a proper three row and just you know really nice attention to detail it's it's a yeah it's a really cool thing so this is going to be interesting because we've We've had a couple of years now where we're seeing products from Kia, Genesis, Hyundai even, but especially with Kia and Telluride and, and Genesis, uh, I've been getting rave reviews. And 
it it started off with this is a good vehicle. Maybe they were just smart. Maybe they got lucky. To now they're 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 having sequels and and uh, and it's happening again and again. They're having pretty decent vehicles. Like I'd like to see sort of the long term results of these. Uh, maybe we start to go back and have a conversation about like a long term Telluride and see if that held its own. Um, but... We had one. It was good. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's... I mean, they're smashing, they're smashing it out of the park. And you mentioned the Telluride because they, you remember they did the Stinger, and Kia, Kia was really smart. What they basically did was go out and hire European designers, European chassis engineers, then empower them to do the job, but also bring up all the local talent at the same time. So they have super talented people that have been empowered. They've got a pretty, you know, they're obviously a, a forward-thinking company that's moving very fast. They're willing to experiment. You know, a lot of other companies like, you know, what are we doing with EVs? They're all in on it. And, you know, they're just knocking it out of the park at the moment. I mean, the Stinger was supposed to be this kind of like breakthrough vehicle for them. And it sort of was, but it was a four-door sedan and, you know, it was kind of a nice vehicle, but it didn't necessarily come. And then the Telluride came along and it almost caught us by surprise. It was, it was, you know, it was this big American, the three row for the U S market. And it's just been an absolute phenomenon for years. They were selling above MSRP. They're still selling strongly. And what the EV nine is, is basically an EV version of a Telluride that makes the most use of EV technology. It's a bit bigger inside than a Telluride technology feels like a little bit more you know a little bit ne more next generation so yeah i mean it's crazy at the moment they can really they really seem like they can do no wrong i mean genesis is flying they're doing some great products hyundai's doing some really interesting stuff and then kia as well and we used to talk about like honda and toyota and the the japanese now it's all yeah. about kia and genesis and hyundai yeah right and and I I think we'll have that conversation again about companies like Honda and Acura and Toyota and stuff on you know with the with the EVs that Acura has coming out which is kind of interesting the shared platform with Cadillac although Acura claims they did it better <laughs> well, I guess, yeah that's gonna I be, guess but we'll then see. Honda's also then cancelled the big deal with GM to do cheaper EVs they're gonna go down their own route so yeah it's really interesting times I mean like the the Koreans just feel like they're ahead of the game and. You know, the Japanese brands, traditionally a lot more conservative, are there's two ways of looking at it. Either they're being caught out and they're playing catch up, or they're just looking at the market and saying, This EV thing's not quite here yet, and we're gonna sell up we're gonna send billions of hybrids and make a lot ton of money, and then we'll have EVs ready when the market wants them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean our, I think we're expecting some some big announcement from from Honda in January regarding EVs at, at CES, which you know another trade show that i'm not exactly sure are people going or people not i'm going, going. i'm not go you're going so you can go have a good time yeah <laughs> you can go um but yes that was delivered to our inboxes fairly recently saying that honda is going to introduce uh an ev prototype and i guess they're going to have a discussion about how they plan to introduce 30 new evs by 2030 yeah, that's what I mean. The Japanese basically said, okay, we're going to wait, 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 let the market pick up and then get into it. Yeah. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, Hyundai, Genesis, Kia have gone a little bit earlier, but, you know, it's it's also, it's not that easy to sell an EV it's right when now. I, when I first read it, it was like 30 EVs by 2030. It's like, I don't I don't think Honda has 30 vehicles, including different trims and 
options. Like I don't even think there's 30 configurations total of all of the vehicles in their catalog. So is that vehicles? Does that include that little electric bike they've done that you know falls into a briefcase? Maybe yeah, the electric you know, bike. Yeah, uh, maybe Asimo, that. Maybe. Asimo's got it. Asimo the robot's got his own little car. I don't know. <laughs> all sorts of things. Maybe he rides a little electric bike around. The little robot rides the electric bike. That would be interesting yeah. to see. I'm I sure want one of those electric. Are you seen? You know what I'm talking about? They're like the little electric bike that folds into a briefcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, cool. what they call the mono. What's it called? I can't remember what it's called. It I forgot name, what it was. It? I was just out at um, at the purest uh, uh, toy drive car show, and um, Sean Lee, who runs it, he was there and he was riding one. He's like, "This is this was like the first one. This is the Honda prototype." They, mo they mo moto me. Moto Compacto is what yeah. it's called. They, they, they lent said, like it's the a thousand one. bucks. And it's he, a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's it's cool looking. It's kind of interesting. What it weighs like forty pounds, something like that. Like, yeah, the basically the idea of it, it's all about like you hear like the industry talk about the last mile. Yeah. So how do you get like the 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 last mile? And the idea is that you like unfold this from the trunk. And you can cruise along. I'd love one. I mean, they're they're a thousand bucks. Maybe we should, you know, maybe we could split one. Matt. I, I think I, that's. I I think it's cool as hell, and I I I can't not think about Tanner Faust. And I know you guys heard this story, but when we went to Willow Springs, he flew his plane from Orange County, and then he unfolded a bike in his plane, and he landed at the airport nearby, and he biked over to the track, and then we drove cars, and then he biked back to his plane and flew home. I was like. For fifty pounds, why not throw this briefcase in the back of your plane, and then you have this electric bike? Although he's a bit guy, so maybe he just wants to pedal. That's good fun. I just can't work out whether I'd look like cool in my neighborhood or just look. I don't know. Also, I'm six foot four. I need to I was, work out like. I was just gonna say, I don't know if it comes in a in a big and tall version. Like if it's there's an XL version. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots of cool stuff at the moment. It's exciting times. There you go, Maxim product specs. If you've never seen one of these things, Google it. It's Moto Moto Compacto, which presumably means small motorbike. Uh, 15 mile an hour top speed, 12 miles range. It's not that far. Charges in three and a half hours. Seven seconds, zero to 15. <laughs> <laughs> and weight capacity, 265 pounds. Oh, we're all right, Matt. We're under 265 pounds. Goldberg yeah. might struggle. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he might actually... See right on the cusp, two sixty five. No, he's got to be more than that, right? What's Goldberg? Uh, he's not in his fighting weight right now. I think he was fighting at like two eighty five. He's probably two sixty five, two sixty. I mean, he's getting old. We'll see. Yeah, he's starting to thin out a little. <laughs> um. Anyway, it looks fantastic. All right, we're uh, let's say we're gonna wrap it up. That we covered everything we were gonna cover. Oh, I've also discovered you can get like a really cool like helmet to go with it. One hundred sixty nine bucks for a little. Moto Compacto helmet. Um, it's cool. Right. Soon we're going to get one of these in. We're going to road test it for the podcast. You should do the full. Maybe we could, we could have like a race around your warehouse, Matt. Let's do that. <laughs> around the, uh, yeah. It's nearly could. Christmas. Okay. Let's, let's, you know, let's have some fun. Yeah. Weighs 41.3 pounds. Yeah. That's... 20. Yeah. 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 They can pick that up. You totally can pick that up. Yeah. For now. I can pick it up for now. We'll see what happens to me in the next few years. Um, yeah, it's neat. It's cool. I like the idea. You could basically store this in the front of your lightning and just uh, ride it around when you don't need yeah. to drive the truck, right? Because it's it's fairly, it's not huge. Anyway, all right. Uh, let's see. I I guess we'll have to check the schedule and see if we got another we got another 
Yeah, we've got a holiday special next week. We're going to do one more show before you jet on off to Europe? The internet works in Europe. We could always do it from there, I suppose. You know, That's true. I don't trust your travel schedule, but okay. Yeah, let's at least get might one be more bit, show. I might be a bit broken. We'll see. <laughs> see how it goes. It's weird time difference. I don't want to get up early for this. Um, all right, guys. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Edmunds.com is the website. Uh, for all of the stuff that we've been talking about here, you can follow their YouTube channel. Plus, all of their videos are on their website as well. At least links to the videos. You can catch them there. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up today. Until okay. next time. Keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCast Show.